We all remember recess growing up in school. Recess was a time of day where you could have all the conversations that you could not have while in class. Recess, recess is where you had the real conversations and real conversations we're going to have. In each episode of the Recess Podcast, I'm going to have real conversations explaining students and school. I'm David McGuire, and I'll be your host. It's recess time, y'all. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Episode 30. Episode 30. Dang. Episode 30 of the Recess Podcast. Dave McGuire here. Excited for this conversation. This will be the last Tuesday show that I do beginning in February. We're transitioning to Thursdays, 7 p.m., but we are getting away from Tuesdays and we're transitioning to Thursdays. So, I mean, it's, it's episode 30. It's the final Tuesday show, and this is the perfect show. I got a good friend of mine that's going to join me. We're going to take you into our world. We do these monthly check-ins with each other, and we have these conversations. And so now you're going to get an opportunity to come into our our, our, our monthly check-ins, and we're going to have a, a dope conversation. Um, I'm going to let him introduce himself. But, but as always, I want to welcome everybody to my uh, returning listeners. As you know, appreciate rocking with us. So make sure you're in the comments. First-time listeners, The Recess Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter now. Follow us on Twitter at The Recess Podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube page at The Recess Podcast. And as always, like, share this video. We're going to talk about a lot of Indiana-based conversations, um, heavy. But we're also going to talk about some some very broad general education conversations. So it's definitely going to be something you can engage with. So as always, if you're in the comments, uh, let me know how you're feeling. Scale to 1 to 10. How's it going? Um, and I'm going to turn it over. I'm going to let my guest introduce himself, and then we're going to jump into uh, our monthly combos for the world. So <laughs> all right, all right. it's your floor is yours, brother. David, hey, thanks, man. And uh, it's so good to um, be with you. Um, and I just I love love the podcast. And more than anything, I just love talking with you. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Um, hi, everyone. Um, my name's is Amar Patel, and um, I am the executive director of Teach for America here in Indianapolis. Proud, proud father of, of two beautiful children, plus a pug, and um, uh, my wife and I moved here about four and a half years ago. I love it. Well, welcome. Listen, you know, as I mentioned, I said it, so just maybe just tell the folks, you know, what what is our conversation about? Why did we start it? Just kind of give them a gist that, you know, you know, just what, what do we kind of discuss before we dive into the actual topics? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, anything and everything that's on our minds, right? Like we talk about, we talk about. Father, we talk a lot about fatherhood. Yeah, we do. We talk a lot about, um, you know, the work in education, and um, uh, you know, we sit in different seats. Uh, you as a school leader, me as a nonprofit leader, so we just talk about various issues. I'm always curious to kind of get behind your eyes on what you're hearing from students and what you're hearing from educators. Um, we talk about big policy stuff. We talk about all kinds of stuff. So yeah. it's it's one of my favorite conversations every month, and um, um, looking forward to having another one here tonight. Yeah, and, and you know that that policy stuff. Uh, I'm excited because I, I cannot wait till we get into the accountability piece. Um, and I just can't wait to hear your thoughts. And, and and again, if you're listening, when I put up these topics, please please jump in uh, and, and engage with us. Right, I know we got some local folks that are listening. Even if even if you're not local, um, and you probably was like, what, what's this context about? Hey, still just chime in anyway. Right, I'm sure it can relate to to what's happening at your school. So. Our first topic, and, and you know what, I, I'm gonna get it up here for the folks because I think everybody wants to know. And I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just put it up, very simple, just like this. It, you know, virtual learning. 
Right. So <laughs> can I just say you're you're just so bomb with all the technology. You just yeah. got you got it going. You got yeah. streaming comments. You got the topic headline right there. Oh yeah, it's, it's gonna be good. Wait, wait till we start getting the, the background look. It's just great. I mean, I had to upgrade. It's 2021. I had to upgrade. <laughs> you know, and get things good. So look, virtual learning. You as people missing, you know, you're the executive director of Teach for America Indianapolis. So you are hearing from. Your coaches who are coaching teachers, you're hearing from your TFA teachers, whether they're first year teachers or alumni or folks in their second year. And what are they saying about virtual learning and the impact on schools in Indianapolis? What are you hearing? What, is, what, are, what are they talking about in Teach for America? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, first off, I, I just think it's fair to say that, like, you know, the pandemic has been the most um, disruptive, like cataclysmic disruption to American education, right? So try, try to say, um, modes of le learning had to change overnight, still are changing. Um, inequities that have always existed along lines of race and along lines of class have been exacerbated, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's all, all that. Um, uh, we, what's also true, at least something that has very much been on my mind, I know David's on your mind, I ask you about it literally every time we have some kind of conversation around like student learning and how are students doing, what's your sense of that? is like, we just don't have that much data on actual, on student learning right now. Not to suggest all student learning is about, you know, performance on a test or something, but like, we literally just don't know how kids are doing in, you know, pro progression to reading proficiency and progression to math proficiency and all that stuff that really matters. Um, and so, you know, there's all these studies that have come out over the past six, you know, four, six months that have, some of which have painted a really grim picture of, of, um, what's the state of student learning and potential student learning loss? More recent ones, like by NWA, have painted a little rosier picture. Um, probably somewhere in between here. I, I, you know, I don't know. So I'm curious, you know, Dave, from you on sort of mm -hmm. your sense of all this at the student level. Um, I, I mean, like we, I was just talking with members of my team that you know that are coaches or lead leader coaches um, uh, earlier today, and. Um, I mean, there. Some of what I was hearing was that what's what's true is um, is that in many ways, kind of the expectation or wh where we have our sight set for for kids, not necessarily wrongfully, right? Mm -hmm. Is like is just showing up. Yeah. You know? Like coming to school or coming to virtual school, mm -hmm. turning on the the video and showing up, right? Yeah. Like, now, 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 I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just, but but that's a pretty low bar in a more normal circumstance, right? Yeah. Um. And um, we're right, you know, we're asking our kids safe at home. Um, we're, we're reflecting on whether teachers are, you know, if they need to right, take care of themselves mm -hmm. and, and their families. And so, so there's all that. It's also true that we maybe have more qualitative data yeah. on student learning, uh, or at least are paying more attention to all the quality data right now mm -hmm. than maybe or at, least, at least I am. Um, um, like, here's some things we've been hearing from students. I've been hearing from students, we've been hearing from students. One, uh, mental health needs for kids are just immense and acute. This is true last spring. This has been true throughout the fall, now and early winter. Mm. Second, this idea of, of double agents. Yeah. Um, right? Kids, kids being learners and then also caretakers for a whole host of other people um, mm -hmm. in their lives, right, at home. Third, um, curriculum, a demand that curriculum has to be grounded in race and equity, kids have to, and are demanding increasingly so, and I love it, uh, are saying, no, 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 we are gonna learn about my history. We, mm -hmm. I, I demand it, you know? Um, and then I think there's maybe another one, which is just like 
Zoom Doom. It's been called Zoom Doom. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm just tired of being on a camera all the time and just doing this all the time and all that sort of stuff, yeah. right? And so, um, um, Richard on my team, Richard Morris, who, who leads our TFA member development work, said this earlier today. I found it really insightful. He said, if we were we were wise, we'd be figuring out how to double our effectiveness come next fall and mm -hmm. next year, uh, and and ha and and have our sights set on that. Uh, and right now, in many ways, we're trying to sustain what we thought was important, but maybe we should we should continue doing what we're doing for the remainder of this year and do it better, right? Not lower our standard, but really set ourselves up for dramatic comeback. Two years worth of student learning growth. Two years worth of whatever um uh next next year and beyond so yeah. um so you know that's some of kind of what what we're observing what i'm observing um uh, the impacts of of virtual have been and and the pandemic and everything um not at all exhausted exhausted of course but i mean you're in schools all the time like you know it, you know this is literally the first question i ask you every time every like, time tell me about it bring it yeah in. Like, so so and I'm, I'm gonna get some love. So, so we got Jadon is in the audience, yeah, and, and, and Lauren, and and, and Brandon. Hey, we gotta give love to the to the sweater, the Zippo sweater game. So I had to make sure we give you love on that. Absolutely. So appreciate tuning in, Brandon and Jadon and Lauren. But listen, I, I think for me, honestly, and you said something. I think what Richard said about doubling down and putting out, you know, for for next fall is two. Naturally, we played the short game, right? Because yeah. in March, it hit us, right? Yeah. Like a slap in the face. Yeah. And we were unsure. And I think even starting this school year, we still continue to play the short game. But now that we've been in this, going on a year, which is crazy, right? We're coming up on a year in March. We got we have to start playing the long game in this. Yeah. And so the conversation has to be, what, what, what do we see our kids a year from now or in fall of 2022? And what do we need to put in place now right to get there and so and we're gonna we may talk about this when we get to accountability but there will be statewide testing there's a 90 percent chance that they're not going to hold schools accountable yeah. for those scores but if you're smart you take advantage of it you get that data and you start thinking for okay how do we prepare our kids for the test this year how do we yeah. use that right to formally think and say okay now what is what do we want instruction to look like in the fall right and you got to start positioning things in place. Now, I think schools, we got to do a better job of budgeting, making sure that we can have the money to have, you know, maybe we can't have a full-fledged virtual school, but we need to have a virtual option because yeah. if parents are still going to choose that. Right now, we're, just, we're being very, a lot of us, and I, I'm, I'll put myself in that, so I'm including me. And, and so we're being a lot, very, very reactive, and we got to get a little more proactive. But in order to be proactive, you have to kind of step back, but it's so hard to step back from this because mm -hmm. there's so many moving pieces. No. It's and just like so much and triage, right? And yeah, and there's so much you're trying to maintain it. So, yeah. But in addition to students, right, a piece we got to look at too is what's going to be the effectiveness of teachers, right? How are teachers going to grow and develop during this time? Because it isn't a traditional, it isn't what many of them anticipated in their first and second year when we talk about early, early teachers. Yeah. And so we got to also consider that. And then we also have to have conversations with, okay, school of education, transition programs. This has got to be, this has got to be a topic. What is it like to be more digitally literate as a teacher? Yeah. Here's some resources. Here's Nearpie. Here's Desmos. Here's all these things that you normally wouldn't get that you probably should get before stepping in the classroom yeah. because now everybody has Chromebooks. Every yep. school has, 
every school is just about one to one, which is good, and that, and we should be. So teachers need to catch up with that. Yeah, I mean, and the hardware and the software is there, right? To to now when we're back full time in person, now all of that can be leveraged for expanding and deepening student learning and growth. But like educators have to have a facility to know how to do that and everything. So, so yeah, and, and to, I mean to your point, I'd, I'd love. It seems like we have a a lot of educators on the call right now too. Uh, so. Uh, to teacher specifically, so I just love to, you know, um, any anything yeah. you're in charge here, Dave. But, yeah, no, but no. anything that are coming up from them. Listen, on, and, and I got you know, that needs to be I started. got Lauren on, uh, who I can see, and Ashley, a good friend of mine, and uh, Tierra, who's a teacher of mine. You know, when you guys think about virtual learning, drop in the comments. What's virtual learning been like for you? And you guys know it's the Recess Podcast, so be as real as possible. But it, it, again, it we have our good days and our bad days. Tierra knows we we've been struggling with internet. I talked about it in the pre-show, and so. This hasn't been the best days for uh, technology with learning with us at Summit, but we've been making do. But that's the thing, right? You have to have contingencies in. And I, I mentioned to you in a pre I didn't do a good job as a principal of putting in some of those contingencies in case the internet goes down because I just feel like a school should have reliable internet. It just should, right? Yeah. A school should have reliable internet. And it, you know, I'm, just, I'm just not going to waver from that. And so, you know, we're working on that at Tinley, but that's just something. But so when you, when you think about virtual learning, let's put it in the context of how do you see it impacting education in our city from a from a holistic standpoint? How do you see us navigating that? How do you see us coming together? Uh, have you seen us come together? And what do you think we need to think about moving forward? Yeah. So, I mean, first, I mean, first thing I'd sort of name, David, you, are, you already said this, which is like, you know, major disruption, right? Most kids, all kids have been uh, sort of virtual at some point last spring or, or, or this fall. Some kids are not coming back to uh, in-person instruction, right? Um, and and for the, the virtual learning sort of setup really works for them. And like they've now had an opportunity to, to experiment with it and like it. And I believe we should rightfully then ensure that they're able to continue via the learning mode that serves them and their families that serves them best, right? So there's like a category. I don't know what that percentage is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, people much smarter than me. Um, We'll know that and be able to predict that, but like I think that's a category of, of just a feature that's probably going to exist in um, Indianapolis and Indiana and American uh, education uh, to come. So that's like the first thing to say. We just need to be prepared for that. I hope those that have been the best um, <laughs> virtual learning uh, schools or programs uh, um, last spring and this fall are those that are sort of going to meet meet the need. Um, we, we have a, a, a history of uh, prior to pandemic virtual learning schools uh, and school operators uh, that um, were terrible for kids. And um, those should not be the only operators, um, um, you know, on the back end of this, right? Um, because there's going to be a demand. So that's, that's like one thing. Um, two, um, and, and again, I, I'm going to like punt back to you uh, uh, on this. I think that uh, there's a series um, of folks in our city that were sort of saw um, out front on this, mm-hmm. uh, what was coming, and for example, got really quick into action on, look, every kid's going to need access to broadband. Every kid's going to need access to uh, a device. Um, uh, one of them, Brandon, uh, is on the call. He was mm-hmm. a big part of uh, making sure that the city moved forward in a big way, raised all the, a lot of money, worked with the broadband people. So. So like that's an example of like you know our our city and people in our city actually saying hey here, what's a need and how do we move quickly and responsibly to help meet that need for kids um, uh, as quickly as possible that is something and you know being a part of a network that that is in fifty regions around the country 
that is very uncommon. Yeah. That's very uncommon in American education, in cities in American education, in rural areas, to be able to move quickly like that. That's something that's really special. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I wonder for you, like, my sense would be there's probably some sort of distribution of schools that have done virtual learning really well. Um, right. And schools that have done virtual learning very poorly. And then a whole lot of schools somewhere in the middle. Um, I mean, are, are, are schools learning from each other? Um, do you feel like you have access to leaders that are doing really great things for kids and, mm -hmm. and for the teams and everything that you've had access to and learn from? I'm no doubt, David, I knowing you, you've done a lot of that stuff and, yeah. and I'm sure you're like sort of opening up the book and hood and saying, Hey, um, here's what's working for us. Um, and I mean, the same question goes at, at you know, to, for the teacher level too. This, so, I mean, what would you say? So I think I had, a, and I have to give them a tremendous credit. Um, I had an amazing opportunity in the spring. Tommy Reddick and the group at Paramount put together those calls in the spring when all this first happened, trying to be schools together for the purpose of what are you doing great? What are you doing great? Here's what we're doing. You know, let's borrow this. Do you want to share this resource and create this Google Doc? And then our school summit and Paramount hosted, and, and Brandon mentioned it, yeah, we hosted an, an amazing virtual learning session where basically we had a list of things we want to talk about. Paramount team share what they're doing. We share what we're doing. Tommy and them created a Google Doc. We dropped in schedules and letters and uh, all these other resources. And, you know, it's, it's still live on our YouTube page. You can go to the Summit website and click on that and, and watch it. And the resources are still active. But I've been learning from Paramount and being able to sit on the call. And, and you talk about systems. I'm talking about every, they thought through a lot of systems. And I think we did as well. But there were some systems that we hadn't thought about that we were able to share with them. And I think they were able to pick up for us how we mesh, meshed in small group pullouts. A lot of people wonder like what a small group look like. And we, we think we found a good niche. And I think another piece where I think we were really strong in was our early elementary. RK1 virtual instruction uh, was something we really focused on. So hard to do. Yeah. Right. And yeah, so I mean, we, we put our eggs in that basket. Uh, yeah. We put our eggs in that basket. But I mean, Paramount's doing great work. And, and I know uh, BCP, Victory College Prep, it's yep. doing some great stuff. And especially I know when you get to, to the high school level. And so I just encourage school leaders to reach out to school leader friends. You know, um, uh, uh, Shanae Andrews, her and I talk. We actually just were texting today earlier about yep. Uh, yep. a common issue we're having. And so just being able to, to stay connected with those folks has been was great, you know, for us. But it, it's, it's stepping out on a on a it's stepping out on a legend saying, I'm going to share my resources. It's not about me being better. It's not me about Summit having the best virtual learning platform or Paramount or Victory College Prep. It's about what do you have to offer for all of us? Because if if yeah. if only one school is winning, then our city's failing. But if all, and I'm going to speak for us, if all the mayor's office charter schools, all the IPS schools and center township and charter schools, if we're all winning innovation schools, then it means the the, the most the kids that need it the most, right? The kids that can easily fall further behind than anybody else. The kids that have um, are starting on the back end of, of a lot of this and, and don't have uh, a head start in life. They're the ones that's going to miss out. But if we come together, yep. the ultimate equalizer is education, right? And if we get a quality education for our children, we put them on the right path that they can continue to compete for these college seats to compete with the kids in Carmel and Zionsville. And, and Hampton Southeast and all those other places. But it, it's just about sharing resources, not being afraid to say, look, this has been working for me, maybe it works for you. Or just saying, hey, I'm struggling. Is anybody good at middle school yeah. science virtual learning or anybody good with engagement? Yeah. 
David, I just love that about you because you just have the courage to actually just say, hey, I'm struggling on this. Help me out. And uh, sort of it's not about my ego or whatever. And I mean, just underneath that is just like an orientation towards what is best for kids, um, having a sort of a collective orientation, um, uh, learning from others, sharing learnings with others. Um, and, and boy, that's like, you know, I think that's one of the stories that we'll maybe look back on. Maybe you'll look back on. I certainly will. Um, years out and saying, hey, man, crisis moment for kids and for everyone. Um, we sort of came together um, uh, to sort of just be, be our best for each other and for, for everyone else. And it's yeah. not about your school and you getting the shine or your school and you getting the shine or your organization getting the shine. It's about what's the right thing to do. Let's just do that. We all have to sign. And, I wanna, and I'll, I'm going to put up uh, something that Sarah said. She said, IPS did a heroic job partnering with Gleaners to keep our families fed and in, ensuring students had devices in it. I just want to say this. We were able to offer food, but early in the virtual learning, and when things went remote, we were still navigating with our food services to provide meals. And so as we were working out those kinks, but IPS through Gleaners had a bus parked at Tinley Summit in our parking lot. And I was able to get my families to, to get some of that food. And, and I, I just want to say to, to uh, Superintendent Johnson and the entire IPS crew, for them to take that on as the largest school district, right? As the flagship district in the city, if you want to call it, to take that on and says, we're going to place these buses in communities where we know the charter schools and innovation schools and other schools are also located. And I'm going to open it up for you all to take access as well until you get that. To me, that's the sign of a true leadership because they could have easily hog this specifically at their schools and yeah. put in all these things where you have to show an ID, but they said, no, we're doing this for the community. We have the means right now to other schools get that off the ground. And I was yeah. gonna say, of all the things that great that she's done for me, you know, that 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 has been the thing that I will always remember because yeah. I know how many of my families took advantage of that and needed that at that time as we was working out getting our own food service program. So I wanted to put that up there and shine that light, but it kind of pivots me to what I want to ask you about. Okay, let me just say, I mean, yeah. that's what, that's what Alicia. That's who, that's who she is, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's how she rolls. That's that's sort of that's her value set, and um, you know, not it is heroic to do it, and not surprising because that's just that's just how she is. Like, and and it's kids, all all kids, no matter what school they're in, are our kids. Um, uh, let's sort of make decisions with with that in mind. It's really so hard to do for a person that's running a school district that has all kinds of things that it needs to get done and all yeah. kinds of incentives. Uh, but to make that kind of decision, yeah. I, I would expect that, you know, more, more to come. And I, and I want to pose this question to you and those listening to the audience. And I really want to get deep in this conversation because uh, we do have four other topics. But I want to get I want to talk about this yeah. for the next couple of minutes. Um, the idea of social and emotional aspect of virtual learning. I want to hear from the teachers. How are you navigating in, infusing social and emotional learning? What have you seen? Um, how are you guys helping? Uh, the folks at TFA, what is what has been their conversation about saying, "Hey, I'm really yeah. struggling with uh, that." So, what what um what have you heard about the social and emotional aspect of virtual learning? Because it's been heavy, and I'm talking about how they're addressing children, right? Mm -hmm. With 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 them coming back in school or coming back online. What have you heard? Well, I mean, so maybe I'll just quickly go back, and I'm, I'm really eager to hear sort of what's in the comments yeah. or you know uh, anything else you're getting from folks. Um, uh, is like. It, like students have consistently, this is students in Indianapolis mm -hmm. um, uniquely, but then also just around the country are consistently saying like these four, four big things last spring and, and, and early this fall, mental health is a major challenge. And kids yep. keep saying that over and over and over again. Um, like um, we have, we have to trust that. Right. And, mm -hmm. and so then the question becomes, what are the implications for like what um, 
uh, a learning and loving and nurturing environment looks like to help meet students and, and you know with with the needs that they might have what are the resources that might be might be in place like empathy for um the double agent situation that they're living right now right um um curriculum that's grounded in things that they want to learn about and things that help affirm their identity racially right um um that now now you know what i sometimes struggle with and i don't think i have very very good answers is um how do we both um um tend to all of that which is just foundational right um uh for kids sort of feeling whole um and not lower expectations uh for uh, you know academics right and um and i think there's a whole lot of structural reasons why probably we've had lower academic expectations because of all the things we already talked about but mm -hmm. like i don't think we will do well by children to sort of go into either or territory. <laughs> No, right? I mean we. You and I talk about this all the time. Like, we're yeah, like, we do. Kids being able to learn, like, read is really important. And uh, um, you know how I feel about that reading. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know. I mean, what what's in the chat? What are so so, so so we do a weekly speaker series with diverse community members on topics of how to change the world. Our students mm -hmm. say it's the only time they feel they are at school. It's 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 gone a long way to build a sense of community uh, within confines of e-learning. Listen. I would say if you open up a Zoom or a Google Classroom or a Microsoft Teams, and the first question, if you don't ask, is it, how are the children or how are you doing, you've already failed. If you're jumping right in and saying, okay, your due now is posted, you haven't even asked what's going on, how you feeling, right? Is everything okay? Then I think you've done wrong. And I think that that is something small like that. That's a start. That should be the bare minimum. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Type in the chat, how, like I did. I literally said it. Put in the comments, one to 10, how are you feeling, right? Ask people how they're doing, right? Um, Lauren put up there, um, at, she's at Urban Act Academy. We have an SEO curriculum that we specifically address the SEO in general, but also we have advisory morning circle for our kids. During that time, we are strategic about asking intentional questions as a check-in to read the needs they might have. Because if, if, if you ask one to 10, how are you feeling? And most of your class says a three. Then before we jump into this um, dividing fractions, let me just ask you, what, what, what happened with everybody this morning, right? Yeah. You know, and, and talk about that. Um, yeah. My friend Ashley put that school incorporates SEL in our pride lessons. And we also uh, have mm. courageous conversation with staff. That's that piece right there. That's the piece too. The conversations with staff. You know, I'm all about children and families too. But for, as a school leader, and you know, as an ED, we also have to ask our staff, how are you doing? Yeah. Right? Because they're the closest link. So if you're not asking your coaches how they're feeling, if the coaches aren't asking the teachers they coach how they're feeling, then how can we expect the teachers to ask their students how are they feeling? Right? It has to be that ripple effect, and we got to model it. As I sort of think back about those those three comments um, um, from in-school educators uh, just now, it's making me think there's like an element of like self-awareness um, um, that that's so foundational to social emotional learning and so important right now, given all that's been going on, right? Um, and there's like a helping students for themselves on their own terms, in their own words, and using their own emotions, articulating what's the vision of they of what they want, mm -hmm. right? For themselves, for their school, for their community, for our city, you know. Uh, to what Sarah had said about sort of how to change the world. What a, I mean, could there be a more important question to be asking young people right now? 
um, given all this great, like just mm -hmm. the unbelievable stuff that's going on in the world. And, it, and it's heavy. And, 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 and here's here's what also like like when I have the opportunity to ask students questions like that, they have real answers. I yeah. mean, they bring it. And, They're very clear. And we're going to talk about yeah, and we're going to talk about the activating voice. Yeah. And so um, we're 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 going to touch on. And I'm gonna move this. We were gonna talk about the Indiana Secretary of Education, but this we've having a great, and I want to engage yeah. everybody. But I, so I want to talk about a piece, and I'm gonna give you the solo screen because I want you to kind of paint the picture. So uh, teachers in the comment again, this is episode 30 of the Recess Podcast. This is education on a Tuesday night, and uh, you're you're getting a, a glimpse into how we have our monthly check-ins. And so I'm gonna give you the solo screen because I want you to frame this because I really want you to talk about um, this accountability piece because I don't know if a lot of people know that the accountability conversation is happening with the A to F grayscale and teachers. If you're in the comments, all teachers and educators, trust me, listen in to this next to this next segment of this show. Um, and so we're going to talk about uh, accountability. So I'm gonna give you the solo screen, kind of just talk to folks about what's been the conversation with what's happening um, in relation to the accountability um, here in Indiana. So let me first say, you clean it up like I'm some expert. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I've thought, uh, some of which hopefully will make some sense and a lot of which probably weren't, won't. But um, um, so, so I don't consider myself an expert, but I've been sort of paying attention to the, the, the conversation on um, school accountability that's happening at the state level, particularly at the state board level um, for some time in the, in, um, at the state level. So the state board, um, the governor and, and the Department of Education are going to enter into a process, have been entering into a process to step back on the um, school accountability model in the state of Indiana, right? Now the school accountability model in the state of Indiana, just like every other state in the nation has to comply with federal law, which is um, the, the updated version of the federal laws that every student succeeds at, right? That law way more so than No Child Left Behind gives states a great deal of flexibility on what their accountability systems look like, right? And so it's an important thing. What we know is that how the accountability system is designed and the types of things it incentivizes at the school level influences school level behavior, right? Which then influences the actions that are happening in classrooms and the conversations and, and the stuff that's put in front of students, right? So it's, it's a big deal. Um, it's also an area everybody I imagine on this call knows is, is one of great debate, controversy, um, you know, whatever, right? Uh, and so we're entering into a process to sort of revisit the school accountability uh, model right now. Um, and I, I, you know, a couple observations for me, and again, this isn't received wisdom. These are some imperfect sort of views that, that, that I have, eager to hear what, David, what's on your mind. We talk about this all the time and, and everybody else uh, uh, as well, um, particularly those that are working in schools. Um, a couple things. One is, um, I think, school accountability is a very important thing. Meaning, if we had no meaningful school accountability, like at all, um, I think we could set ourselves back to a time where equity was not was not actually a focus and, and certainly um, uh, wasn't a, an animating feature of how schools operated and were, were then because of how they're held accountable. I worry about that, right? What's also true is if you look at state of Indiana's learning um, student learning in the state of Indiana, we saw fact, right? The state of Indiana saw the greatest amount of student learning progress during a period of time between 2008 and 2012, 2013, when accountability was a big part of the strategy at the 
the State Department of Education, where schools knew that they were going to be held accountable. And if they were consistently low performing as measured by student learning outcomes on assessment tests, um, um, there was there was going to be some consequences um, up to uh, and ultimately school takeover. Right now, therein lies where a ton of controversy is. But it is just a fact that if you look at NAEP scores, which are things that can't be, you know, um, uh, um, which are the, it's the most widely trusted yardstick of American students learning. Let me put it that way. Like, I mean, the, the, the slope of progress was quite dramatic, faster than literally any other country, uh, any other state in the country. And opportunity gaps between white students, black students, white students, Hispanic students narrowed faster during that time period than, than ever. Right. So, so important thing, right. Um, we also know, uh, so separate from the state level conversation, I believe, and I think, David, you probably believe that uh, our mayor's office um, here in Indianapolis, which is the primary charter school authorizer, a big part of why that office uh, as a charter authorizer is so well regarded nationally and a big part of why charter schools in Indianapolis have seen continued positive improvement in student learning outcomes is the accountability model they have, right? My point is this, like there's meaningful accountability. And my point is that that has been something that's helped support forward progress for schools. I am not one um, that will say that um, the accountability model retrospectively 10 years ago or five years ago is perfect, far from it, right? Um, and I'm not one to say that um, uh, test-based accountability and the things we measure on tests currently um, in total encapsulate what's most important um, uh, uh, in, 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 in education and, and for, for kids in the near term and over the course of the rest of their lives. I think of it as an important tool. Um, like Dave and I talk about this all the time, kids need to learn how to read. Like if, if, if they're reading to learn by the end of third grade, we all know like the likelihood of their uh, of, um, high school graduation for low income, black and brown kids goes up like six times. Um, their likelihood to go to college and graduate in college goes up like 12 times. And their likelihood to earn a minimum or a middle class wage dramatically increases as well, right? And so that's not me saying third grade reading is the only thing we should ever care about. That's me saying third grade reading is something that's really important. And um, having a system in place that incentivizes or uh, encourages or incentivizes schools um, to support the growth and things like that and many others is an important thing, right? Whole lot to say right there. I'm probably rambling on in ways that are less helpful, David, at this point, but. Um, I, I could also sort of make some of the counter arguments on this and then some of my thoughts on that, but yeah, I'll stop. No, no, it, it was, it was spot on. And I'm, and Sarah, I'm definitely going to get to your question. You asked about the homeschooling cause I, I want to talk about yeah. that, but listen to me, accountability is what ties um, commitment and results together. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you have accountability, you have a different commitment and then you have results to tie to it. Right. So like, you can't just have teachers, principals, schools operating with no oversight, right? Because they just have, now what that oversight looks like, we, we're going to debate about that to the end of time because no one's going to agree with one set accountability model. And I don't know, maybe there should not be one set, but you can't just say, get rid of accountability. Tests don't matter. Scores don't matter. And we're just going to operate. This is not how it works. While we would love to believe that everyone has good intentions, that's not true. Right. Adam and Eve ate from the tree. So we're all we all fall short of the glory. Right. So I'm not just going to sit here and say that all educators have the best intention. 
Do I believe that most of them? Absolutely, 100%, right? So you need accountability. Now, how accountability happens? Accountability can be tricky. And this is where I think I'm going to put up what uh, Sarah said. And I can't speak directly to it, but I think this is what happens. When you do have accountability, and it is high-stake testings, and you and teachers' jobs are on the line, and, and uh, principal jobs are on the line, and schools open or close, right? I want to say, I'm okay with that. I'm good with pressure because I was always taught pressure does two things. It bursts pipes or create diamonds. So I'm good with pressure. But when it's high stakes like that and there's a lot of this accountability, it does cause people to kind of skirt the system, right? And so I think you saw that with CSUSA where they operated, I'm assuming with, with the kids in the dropout and the homeschool who never really did anything and counted them towards their graduation rate to flip that because what's big in high school? graduation rate it is it is huge if you have if you're in the high 90s you're doing right but instead of the question is of those 95 plus percent kids that you're graduating how many of those kids are going to college not taking remedial classes that should be the question let's measure that right when you have because when you don't have accountability you have black and brown kids that graduate from these high schools with honors classes and they're going to these universities in their remedial math how Right. So you would graduate high school with a 4.3. Yet you're taking a freshman math class in college. It, it's not it's not adding up. And, and that's but that's what happens when, when you get away from accountability. But I think what Indiana's trying to do, people have their issues with the ADF, you know, grading scale, because I think, you know, there's this notion when you're only growth only that now you're a school for X amount of years. And here's a school that is on accountability and proficiency, but they're rated a D yet. They have more kids passed. But, and so you have all these factors, and that's the frustration. And I, I don't know if there's a bit. I just know that we got to hold people accountable for yeah. doing right by kids. Hey, David, couldn't agree more. And, and Sarah, to, you know, to your question, like, if, you know, when you have a, an accountability system, by definition, you're going to create, there's going to be some actors, there's going to be some perverse incentives, right, um, uh, for folks to do what was just unconscionable. Un mm -hmm. un unacceptable and unconscionable and immoral in my view, maybe I'm using too strong a language, uh, <laughs> like CSUSA uh, did, uh, or seemed to do, reportedly did, just unacceptable, right? What I hear you asking, Sarah, is not that an accountability system is the problem, uh, 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 having accountability is the problem, it's what are the details of that accountability system that allows yes. for those types of sort of leaky funnels, right? Um, and just ridiculous and, um, uh, unacceptable behavior and so that's more about like the details like the devil is in the details on this stuff and um look i'm not smart enough to know all of the details of the most perfect state level accountability system um, um that's out there uh in the country or, or or should be here uh but that's what we need to dial into it's not like we don't need accountability for like schools and uh it's like what is the accountability system that incentivizes um the most equity centered student focused decisions yeah. and outcomes, right? Um, and when there are bad actors, there will be bad actors, right? Um, um, there's real, there's consequences to that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and I'm, say, I'm gonna jump back. Let me just say, David, like, yeah. I mean, your point around like, the proof of a great um, K-12 schooling experience is how are the children after K-12? Yeah. Right, and this gets tricky, how do you put in sort of, 12 months, 18 months, 24 months after high school 
whatever kids are doing from if they're working, what are do they have a middle class wage in a good or promising job? Uh, do they are they in college and have they persisted? Um, mm -hmm. Are they in the military? Have they been successful? All that kinds of stuff. We can measure that stuff. What what high schools in particular often and conversations I've been a part of will say like we aren't in control of all the variables associated with all of that. Which yeah. I, and and so how can you hold us accountable for it? My personal view, I, I haven't thought deeply enough about this. My personal view is like, on the one hand, I can agree with that. On the other hand, like a lot of the variables you are, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so anyways, I'm getting into territory where I'm asking yeah. for something that I don't necessarily know if it'd be the right thing. I'd love to hear more thoughts on that. But David, to your point, like that's ultimately the measure of, of whether, you know, schooling was effective for kids is how are they doing beyond school? You know? Yeah. And, um, listen, and, I, and I'm going to put this, I'm going to put this up here because I worked at Charter School USA at Hal, and I think Brent, Brandon brought up a good. You could potentially argue that the state board held CSU accountable yeah, for dude. their shady behavior by not renewing their contracts and returning the schools to IPS. Agreed. I agree, and I, I want to push this. Maybe it should have happened sooner, and yeah. I say that because I worked there and I witnessed it a lot of it firsthand. And so, I but it is good that they finally just said, "Nope, enough is enough." Um, and we're, we, you know, we're, we're not going to do that. But Sarah also mentioned, I think this, and I wanted to put this up because I want to make sure we, we are respectful of the time, but she mentioned about this idea of adding school climate and culture surveys to the accountability. I think that would be a perfect measure for, for new schools early on, because before you get those results, in order to get that, you got to have the, the culture and the climate to get high results. You cannot, I, I, you're not going to find a high performance school that has terrible culture. You're just not, I don't care what you say. If it's a high performing school and kids are learning, that means the culture is strong. And there needs to be some form of accountability, whether it's through surveys and stuff with teachers in the building, but also yeah. an independent auditor who can come yeah. in and engage it as well. So I think it needs to and be dual. Just, dual. just on this on, on this point of um, school cl culture and climate surveys, five essentials, um, for example, something that Chicago, was yeah. built in Chicago mm -hmm. uh, um, by the Chicago Consortium for School Research. Uh, um, it is a part of the Chicago, the Chicago public schools um, comprehensive school quality review framework, their accountability framework. It's literally in there and it's really good, you know? So I think, um, Sarah, to your, your question, couldn't agree more. Um, um, school culture and climate matters immensely, right? Uh, for kids, for educators, and is a leading indicator of ultimate sort of student outcomes to come and the sustainability of the school. Of course, it should be a part of a, um, in my, you know, um, novice view, part of a school accountability system. And I think there's probably a lot to learn from places that have implemented that including chicago yep all right so we're gonna we're gonna pivot um i can't we're, we're at 40 minutes already anyway listen if you're listening to recess podcast again make sure you like us on twitter share this keep engaging the, the comments are hot now we're gonna get into some good stuff and so i am gonna i'm gonna appoint you the recess podcast uh expert on these next two things and the first <laughs> one right by no. nature by nature of your organization i gotta do it teacher voice right yeah how do we activate teacher voice? And, and teachers, educators in the comment, I need you to jump in. I need you, wait, well, hold on real quick. Mama Toya, how you doing? I love you. I can't <laughs> wait for the, the Woke Aunties podcast is coming soon. First Mondays of the month, gotta give that shout out. Thank you for tuning in with me. I'm always a fan, but teacher voice. Teachers, how do we activate, how do we activate teacher voice? What do we need to do to get teachers louder and prouder? You want me to weigh in there? You want to? Yeah, I want you to go. Okay. And then, and so, they're going to jump in the comments, but I want yeah, you to weigh great. in. 
obviously we believe deeply about this is foundational to um you know the teach for america's model and and, and everything um so i i think if we if we stepped back and looked at for example student learning and student outcomes both year to year and over time and ask the question what have we learned and if we see then go further and see that there's been progress in student outcomes and ask the question what's driven it what works and if we haven't seen progress why not what's standing in the way right uh and it seems to me like those questions are so foundational for us to sort of build from build what 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 should happen next right for kids and for education um and it seems to me that because teachers are closest to kids and school leaders are close to kids and teachers teachers and school leaders uh are best positioned to name the issues of both policy and practice in schools that are they're actually most helpful and least helpful right proximity matters here um our students are those we seek to serve and students and and and, and also their families right and, and those that are closest to them are best positioned to understand what their needs are what seems to be working what is not working you know etc and um what are the issues that support student learning and growth? What are those that don't? What are the issues that support students feeling whole and emotionally and physically and spiritually sort of taken care of? And, and what are those that aren't, right? And um, so, so why not um, hear from teachers, school leaders more at, at all levels of pol policy and practice debate, right? From sort of state level accountability to school funding to teacher pay to like, what are the actual school-based practices that work at supporting students' learning, growth, emotion, social emotional well-being, right? So this conversation that we're having. So, um, you know, those are sort of like our my and sort of our orientations. It's our hope that we're we, we we're going to see more. We've certainly seen a great deal, including by folks that are sort of participating in this call um, that have been leading um, uh, in sort of helping organize uh, and elevate teacher voice, right? And what's been so heartening is the objectives of that work are a kid-focused agenda, right? Mm -hmm. Starting with the premise of what is, how are the children, what is right for kids, what can we do to further support them? And part of that, of course, is all the things that teachers need to be well, to be compensated, to be respected, uh, like for the professionals um, and sort of nation builders that, that they are, you know? So, um, yeah, those are my thoughts. Uh, say more about sort of tactics and all that kind of stuff, but, um, my sense that that'd be less sort of interesting at this point. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give, I'm, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, so yeah. I'm gonna give a plug to uh, Teach Plus um, yeah. and, and a group of Teach Plus because I had an opportunity to to be a part of the Teach Plus Policy Fellowship. Um, yes, it touched on policy and education policy, but the essence of it was helping teachers find that voice. Right, the importance of sharing their story, the importance of advocating for what's right in the profession, advocating for themselves advocating for the things you talked about. How do you get into those conversations about teacher pay and, and accountability and virtual and all these other things? And I learned that from Teach Plus. And so I encourage teachers that want to learn more, not about education policy, but about just how to get your voice heard to, if you don't do the policy fellowship, engage in all the opportunities that they have with the focus groups and things like that. Uh, Rachel and the crew, Johan, are great people. They're doing great work over there. Uh, yep, there's my guy. My guy Patrick, he, he was he was there with me when I did Teach Plus. Absolutely, it's it, it is it's not monolithic, right? And and I just I encourage people to get involved, get their voices. But this is what I say to teachers all the time, you know. And, and you got to be loud and and unafraid and unapologetic, right? To speak up, it starts by being that voice in your classroom, 
being that voice in your school, and then being that voice in your community, right? You have to you have to hit it at all three layers. Your kids need to hear your voice, the school leaders need to hear your voice, and your and the your the broader community and parents, they need to hear your voice as well. And and, and don't shy away from the conversation because you are the ones living it. And a lot of these decisions greatly affect you and greatly affect the kids. But but especially when you have kids who are still learning how to activate their voice, and we're gonna talk about that next. You got to be their voice. You got to be the voice for the voices. And if you're quiet, then you're also silencing them as well. And so there's that obligation there as well. So I just encourage teachers to speak up and you just, you know, but it has to be fostered. It's got to be fostered through organizations like T plus and, and, and also in schools. Lauren, I love it. <laughs> um, um, so, it, it, I mean, I think that David couldn't agree more and I'm just like loving the stuff that's come, to, come through in the chat. I think that, um, you know, there's all these big issues that are written about. You, we sort of read about Chalkbeat and it's all this stuff. There's policy stuff that's going on at the state level and this policy stuff that's going on at IPS or wherever else. Um, and that stuff's really important. Um, and that's really important that for teachers um, and, and school leaders, David, for that matter, um, have to have a voice. Uh, and I, I, by the way, I think school leaders actually should have, should also have an elevated voice. Um, um, uh, uh, given just the complexity and sort of what you see within the system. Um, but what's also true is like 22% of kids in public schools in Center Township are proficient in reading. Fact, right? And that's just not going to, we, we can all agree, that's not going to work. What I believe teachers, exceptional educators, such as those that are um, represented here on the call, ought, like are so well positioned to actually help the broader other teachers and and school leaders and not you know knucklehead nonprofit leaders like me and and policy people sort of like what works in helping kids learn how to read what works uh in helping kids you know all the social emotional like what are the practices that actually work and among those what are things that should be more broadly understood disseminated scaled whatever um and my point is it's not just narrow, you know, I'm not necessarily suggesting, you know, just about sort of reading, reading and all this stuff, though that's incredibly important. It's that we have to, we, we can't get, um, we can't lose sight in sort of this mystical space of all these different issues that are going on of what are the practices in schools um, with kids um, in teaching and learning environments that, that work. And let's not lose sight of that and ensure that just like the, the best practices there are happening more and more and more and over and over and over again. So I said, when we have a conversation five years from now, that number is 50%, right? Or that number is mm -hmm. 75%. Because um, the fact of the matter is, if it's not, there are going to be tens of thousands of kids that are not on a pathway to actually fulfill their potential or live their dreams, right? Um, yeah. And so, so I just want to make that point of like, you know, that needs to be a part of this. And, and uniquely, by the way, most policymakers have no no earthly idea what they're talking about when it comes to that stuff. Right? No. And then, but instead, we're, we focus on all these other sort of issues that are tangential, that are conditioning enabling, but not actually the real work. You know? Yep. Listen, I, I took my friend Jasmine, Jasmine Lane out of uh, Minnesota always says, the most, the most anti-racist thing you can do is teach kid how to read. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it is. Like, you teach kids because we, we always talk about how that whole that old saying, right? They build prisons based off the amount of kids, third graders that can't read or whatever, right? How about this? What if we built universities for the amount of kids that could read? Let's change that narrative, mm. right? So let's take the amount of kids that could read and let's add more seats at universities instead of adding more beds in, in jails, right? It's also a framing of a mindset. 
And teachers got to speak of that. Wait a minute, you, you build prisons for the kids that can't read. What about all these kids that can read? Are we adding more seats in these universities? That's that's what we need to do. And that's what teachers need to be talking about, right? Yeah. And, and, and changing it. Anytime people take these negative stereotypes around children, you have to activate your voice and flip it to a positive. That's what we need. And, and I, I'm sick of hearing that stat about jails being, and I just want people to, to talk about the other things um, right. that we can do with the amount of kids that are in. How many more jobs we're going to need? How many more, um, you know, how, how much more money? That's the stuff that we need to be talking about, and, and yeah. it's not happening. So I, I really want to change that that narrative. Um, and and so, again, teachers. Uh, and I think Lauren said it, or, or, um, Tierra Willis, who's one of my teachers, I, listen, you better have a voice before you become a teacher. I agree, right? The moment you decide on that profession, you have to ask yourself, I got to get this voice because your kids are going to need it day one, right? But in addition to that, right, organizations like Teach for America and schools like Tinley and organizations like the Mind Trust, we have to also provide avenues um, to help teachers um, get that voice louder and continue to expand that, that voice as well. So, um, again, I, I, yeah. I'm, I think we have a question for you. Here we go. So it says, yeah. Doesn't teach, and we're going to have you answer this, and we're going to jump into activating student voices, but cool. doesn't Thanks. teacher retention play a tremendous role in improving proficiency? What is TFA's vision for ensuring their people get good at teaching and, and stay in teaching? Yeah, Sarah, I really appreciate the question. The answer is yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, first off, just a, a fact uh, is that the average tenure, and this is a little, little understood, the average teaching tenure, this is perhaps not enough to your point, the average teaching tenure of, of a TFA teacher in Indianapolis now is 4.26 years, right? So more than doubling the two-year teaching commitment. Now, mm -hmm. I, I'm not here to say that 4.26 years is sort of like a, we should shout from the rafters, that's a victory in terms of retention in the classroom, but that, but it's double sort of what, what the sort of the teaching commitment is. So that's the first thing to say. The second thing to say is like those that stay um, uh, um, uh, in the classroom, um, are often those that have the deepest, deep commitment uh, to their kids, deep relationships with their students, um, and were highly effective uh, within those first two years or first several years of teaching, right? So what are we doing? Um, one other thing to name here is um, uh, we see exceptionally high retention rates of, te of uh, um, teachers of color, black teachers specifically, here in Indianapolis through TFA. Um, so well beyond that 4.26 sort of uh, year average. What are we doing um, to help teachers find efficacy early uh, and you know it, beyond those first two years? Um, we've sort of launched specific programming. Uh, um, uh, members of my team would be well better positioned to talk in all the specifics about it, but sort of alumni cohort for transformational teaching. So, like, mm -hmm. what are the best teaching practices that we just know from across the country that that we know from locally? helping bring those to educators. So A, they actually see the professionalization of sort of what years three to five, three to seven looks like in terms of learning to continue to improve their craft, right? Um, um, upstream of that, uh, um, um, doing considerably more to through partnerships and through our own work to have our beginning teachers just be way better, um, uh, which is, you know, a, a constant effort. So um, those are some of the things that, you know, that we're working on. Um, could say a whole lot more there, but I'm mindful of And Sarah wanted to name for everybody, those that listen um, to this uh, later, 
Sarah is in year six of TFA. So again, there there are folks who who stick in the profession, Lauren as well. So there are folks that stay stay in it. But here's the thing: you said, and I'll, I'll touch briefly. Four point six years tells you that one, those teachers in those years are going to continue to get better because teaching is an art and a science, and they get better with time. But it also can mean that those schools and those kids the likelihood of them having a high performing teacher increases the more they stay. So it is still something to celebrate as well. So we're going to, we're going to wrap, we're going to have a five minute final thought on our last one. And, and I, and I changed it a little bit and I'm, it's, it's titled simply, you know, cause I want everybody to chime in because I, on Twitter the other day, um, I got some backlash as I seem to always do when I'm trying <laughs> not even cause any backlash. I thought I was saying something that, Generally, most people uh, would agree with, but I, I guess they didn't. So I came up with what I call my education hierarchy, right? And who I think should be at the top of the total pole. And I said, and I'm going to start from four up. So at the bottom, I think it's principles. We, we're just, I think we're at the bottom, to my opinion. Then I think teachers. I'm considerably lower than you, but. Okay, <laughs> so, okay we're going to, what, I said, non-private principles, okay? <laughs> teachers. Our three, I put parents at number two. And what we're going to talk about is let the baby speak because the the students are first. So I want to hear from you and the folks in the audience. What do we need to do to activate student voices? Yeah, yeah. David, so like, let's just just do a thought experiment here. So if you and I were opening up a new business, right? And this business made widgets. Let's just say, right? And and we knew we needed to sell widgets to customers. Mm-hmm. Would we ever pursue selling our widgets, our product, by never paying attention to what our customers told us? When we sold a couple widgets to some customers, customers gave us some feedback saying, hey, these widgets suck. I'm never buying them again. Would we take that seriously or would we not take that seriously? Wow. If they, they said, hey, here's what you can do to improve the widget. What, what would we do? I hope we would consider it because they're the ones that's buying it. That's right, right? And yet, <laughs> this is sort of a stupid thought experiment that I did here, but like, and yet in many ways, like the whole education sort of industry or whatever, this is not, of course, everybody here, and I don't want to speak for everybody here, um, but by and large, that's not the approach that we take to education. We don't think of students as the most important, uh, we say it, but like we don't, like a lot of actions don't sort of um, respond, right? If they did, we would have done social emotional learning would have been like we would have been light years ahead yeah, right students <laughs> been telling us this for a long time right mm-hmm. so my point kids are brilliant man and if we ask them what they want they tell us right if we yeah. ask them what they aspire to they'll tell us if we ask them what kind of community they want to live in work in raise a family in they're going to tell us and if we if we ask them what role education plays in all of this for them they'll tell us right and um so we got to we got to just ask, and, and I'm preaching the choir here, no doubt. Um, particular folks that are um, teaching kids every single day, um, no doubt, this is 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 on it, right? But um, because of this, and because we value this, and because they are, to your point, students are the highest in the hierarchy. Um, um, we at TFA Indy are launching a a series, uh, and I'm looking really looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's called Centering Student Voices. Um, and uh, this will run across all our social media platforms. It's going to start uh, next Monday, uh, the first, and will continue through the, the rest of the school year. And the whole point is um, that students and families are our best 
teachers. Students are our best teachers, right? And understanding what is needed uh, um, for them is what we need to do sort of for, within sort of the education landscape, right? And so our, our whole point here is not to drive any particular agenda. It's not about branding for Teach for America Indianapolis. It's not about, you know, whatever, whatever. It's actually just, we have a platform. Um, we're gonna turn this platform over to the kids and give them the mic, right? And um, so when I hear them, you know, hear from kids on what, the, what types of things they wanna talk about, we'll talk about current events, we'll talk about what do they want for the future of our city, we'll talk about um, race and racism um, in our schools and outside of our schools, we'll talk about all kinds of stuff, uh, but it's gonna be driven by what they wanna talk about. Um, and so that'll, uh, I, hope, I hope you all will tune in, it'll, like I said, it'll sort of run, run across all our social media channels, it's TFA Indy on Instagram and Twitter, uh, and if you'd use the hashtag centering student voices, um, you'll sort of learn more about the stories and all that that's going on. I am a nascent uh, Twitter user. Uh, uh, and so uh, I'm going to be tweeting about this too uh, once I learn how to really do how Twitter really works. Um, um, and so my, my handle is um, at Ummer underscore uh, Pate, P A T E. Um, uh, so Noel there at the end. And um, I don't have that many friends. So it'd be really awesome if you guys. Yes, please, please uh, follow follow my good friend who who was amazing today, and we're we're gonna close out with that. But I, I gotta say this: I, I'm gonna Mama my, my Toya says something about it, and it's everything you talked about, and it's it's literally what you're doing with the series. Include them in the conversation and give them a seat at the table. It's just that simple, and that's what you're trying to do, and that's that's what we gotta do with with activating the student voice. And so we're going to make sure that we share that on the recess podcast and, and, and on the Twitter and make sure that I'll, I'll be tweeting about it as well when I'm engaging as well. So I'm excited about it. Listen, brother, I, I appreciate coming on. Uh, welcoming folks to our world. Uh, what this is what folks, this is what we do. You got an opportunity tonight to hear um, brilliance and greatness. Um, and, and I get, I get it every month. And this is how, again, we, we talk about golfing and, being dads and but we also talk about this stuff in education and so I, I hope you guys enjoy the conversation the comments were rocking i appreciate each of you before i close out close out is there any final thing you want to say for folks um please let me just go ahead with your final thought anything real quick um before we close out for good this for me dad yeah 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 I, hey i just i, I want to say hey this is a lot of fun thank thank you and um um, thanks for all the, the you you identified all the topics you wanted to talk about, and uh, we just had one of our one of our conversations where I did maybe a little more of the talking this time than uh, than usual. Uh, next time it's going to be different, um, but uh, uh, but thanks and thanks to all the uh, all the um, folks that are out there on, on the chat and following along. It was just it was, I sort of got a lot from um, all that you were um, asking about and commenting on and everything. So uh, and I'll just say I, I think we should all. I'm going to do this myself, and maybe everybody will do this at home. Give uh, Mr. McGuire teach uh, uh, an incredible round of applause. I mean, he sort of stood up this incredible podcast. I mean, all the voices that you sort of give a platform to, the questions that you ask with generosity and rigor, um, it just matters a lot. And I think it, it's influencing, it's clearly influencing the conversation for kids here in Indianapolis uh, amongst educators and, and those around educators. So thank, thank you for your leadership and all you're doing. Hey, I appreciate it. I see, I see a good friend of mine in there, Jeffrey Byron, man. It's good to see you, man. We got to hit me up in the DMs, man. We got to catch up, man. It's been, been some years. I would love to catch up with you. Uh, uh, I see Rico is hopping there too. Uh, appreciate you. Good friend of mine, Michael as well. And then Lauren and Ashley and Tierra, Mama Toya. 
Brandon Brown was with us. Uh, Sarah was rocking with us. We had a lot of great people today, so I appreciate everybody. And listen, this has been episode 30, which is amazing, right? Like, yes, Mama Toya, I am watching the Twitter. I'm watching my Twitter so I don't get in any trouble in 2021. Uh, so I'm being good. But again, this has been episode 30, the final episode on Tuesday. Catch me next week, Thursday, February 4th. Uh, Real Men Lead. I'm going to be meeting with uh, four Mind Trust fellows that are opening schools in the coming next year and a year after. So we're going to have an amazing conversation. That's next Thursday, February 4th, Real Men Lead, 7 p.m. As always, this has been the Recess Podcast. And the same thing I say every week, create the platform, control the conversation, change the culture. I'll see you guys next Tuesday. If you got time, hop over to the Citizen Ed, A Black Hands, Simply Brilliant, with my, my homegirl, my sister, Doc Lash. She's talking about toxic feminality. So check that out going on right now. I appreciate everybody. And see y'all next week. Thanks, man. Good to see y'all.